right. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me or tap over with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, and we're going to be in verses 18 through 21. On, uh, in, in 1987, uh, Bono, any, anyone know Bono, U2? Bono uh, woke up, he was on tour, U2 was on tour in London, and he woke up one morning with a song in his head, and he'd fallen asleep listening to a CD, so he assumed that it was actually just a song from the CD he'd been listening to, but it wasn't. It was a song that his mind somehow created while he was sleeping. He's just a musical genius. And he began putting this song together, starting to add some lyrics. He told his band about it that day. He's like, check out, I can't do his you know, Irish kind of accent, but I'm sure it was, sounded very cool when he said, check this out, the song I've got. And then that night, there was the legendary singer who they, they connected with at their concert, Roy Orbison. And he showed the song to Roy Orbison. And Roy Orbison and Bono began to work on this song. And in uh, November of 1988, Orbison finished recording this song just a month before he died tragically and suddenly from a heart attack in December of 1988. Uh, excuse me, 1988. And then the song was released in 1989. And the song was called, She's a Mystery to Me. Um, and, and some of the lyrics go, darkness falls and she'll take me by the hand, take me to some twilight land where all but love is gray, where I can't find my way without her as my guide. Night falls, I'm cast beneath her spell, Di daylight comes, our heaven turns to hell, I am left to burn and burn eternally, she's a mystery to me. And then the, the chorus just is, she's a mystery to me, she's a mystery to me. And it's like a quintessential love ballad, right? Because men don't understand women. That's just the way it is. Men don't understand women. Well, and he, under, he knows two things in this song. That he needs this woman and he cannot figure her out. She's a mystery. Well, my relationship with the Holy Spirit is sort of like that. I know I need him. But at the same time, I can't quite figure him out. He's a mystery to me in some ways. When I read the earliest experiences of the Christian church in the, in the, in the Bible and even in early church, some of you know I'm working on a, a doctoral degree and one of my friends is working on a, on a dissertation on the Holy Spirit in the early church. And you read what they experienced of the Holy Spirit and I read these things in the Bible, in the book of Acts, and then I look at my own life and I say, that doesn't seem to line up completely. And I think often that, th that we are like this, that I'm not alone. I don't think this is unique to me, this experience of feeling like the Holy Spirit is a mystery. Um, he's a mystery or often misunderstood. So there's like two kind of stereotypical ways of looking at the Holy Spirit. On the one side, it's like people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. They don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. They don't really get the Holy Spirit. They kind of, they kind of may realize, like, yes, he's a part of the Trinity, and yes, he's part of our salvation, but, but we're not quite sure. We don't, want to, we don't want to get, like, crazy. We don't want to uh, trip over into some sort of excess and, and, and the Holy Spirit sort of remains this mystery or, or even just being forgotten. And on the other side, there's, there's, 
groups who so emphasize the Holy Spirit that they kind of use the Holy Spirit as an excuse just to be silly. And they claim it's the Spirit when, in fact, it, it may not be the Holy Spirit. It's just chaotic and disordered. And I think, the, I think a healthy biblical vision is somewhere between those two. And one of the verses I've wrestled with for years on this is Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says, and I'm reading from the CSB, uh, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, and if you need a copy of the Bible, just slip your hand up. Someone will get you a copy. And you can take it home if you want. You can't take the colored pencils, but you can take the Bibles. <laughs> Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you would help me to unpack, to interpret, to, to, to preach this word uh, faithfully. You would speak uh, as you want to speak, Holy Spirit, that you would edit me uh, at, and give uh, me words to say. If there's anything I've prepared to say that I, that I shouldn't say, that you would edit it out. And if there's, nothing, there's something in there that's not in there that needs to be, that you would just help me to say what you want me to say to faithfully uh, bring the word to bear this morning. Just be with each person. You know, what, you know what they need, Lord. You know what they need. I don't know what they need. I might have an idea of what they need. I know big picture what they need, but I don't know exactly what they need uh, and in what exact way, and, and you do. So I pray you would apply the word to them. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? Um, I want to find out together with you this morning. Um, to start, now if kids, if you're following along in your little worship guide, um, you put the date there, it's April 7th, who is speaking? Pastor Danny. Um, and, and you can put here the main passage, the book is Ephesians chapter 5, then verses 18 through 21. Some of the grown-ups are like, I really wish that you would give that uh, to us too. Yeah, this is great. I think everyone would pay attention better if they all, all, of, all of us had that. Um, we need to look at the context of this passage. Um, so Ephesians was a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a group of Christians that he had actually, uh, many of them he had led to Christ, he'd gathered them together, they'd started a new church, like we are starting Cross United Church, and they've started this, this church in the city called Ephesus, they would lent, rent out a lecture hall, sort of like we're renting out a fellowship hall, and they would have church together, and they would grow together, and then Paul uh, spent a long time with them, uh, uh, relatively, in terms of how long he usually spent somewhere, but he, he spent three years with them, and then he left. And then uh, one thing led to another. He got arrested for his faith, and then he was taken to Rome. He appealed to the highest uh, authority in the land, that is Caesar himself, the, the, the ruler of Rome. And so he's under house arrest toward the end of his life. After decades of ministry of the gospel, he's in, under house arrest, and he's there awaiting trial, awaiting a hearing. And so he's writing letters to people he loves, and one of those letters is Ephesians. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, what, what he does is he just really just glories in what God has done. Verse 1-3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, predestining us to adoption and love, and on and on. And, and he's just glorying in what God has done. 
And, and then in chapter 2, he talks about how we were dead in sin and God made us alive together with Christ and that he's bringing together now this new multi-ethnic family called the church, filled with the Spirit, filled with Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3, he explains that this is a mystery that hadn't been revealed in former days, but has now been revealed for, for uh, us now today. And, and, and then he prays for the church. And all this is in chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapter 4, verse 1... It says, therefore, I urge you to walk in a way worthy of your calling. So what he's saying is, what we do and how we live is based upon what God has already done. And that order is very, very important. That we, we can't earn God's love, we can't perform, we can't pay to play, we, we our sin has separated us from God, and that means we can only receive God's love. And what God the Father did is he sent God the Son to become a man, Jesus Christ, who lived a, perf lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death by crucifixion, was buried and raised from the dead. And anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ will be saved and given new life. And all we can do is receive it. And this receiving, this posture that we can only act from a place of salvation, not for salvation, this is a concept that we call grace. And grace makes Christianity different than every other religion or worldview. Standard religious ideas or just common sense tell us that we have to work for what we get. We have to earn our place. We have to pay to play. We have to perform. If you want playing time on the field, you need to perform. You need to perform and do well. What Christianity tells us is a different story, and that is a story of a God who took the initiative to save us when we couldn't save ourselves, and we can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't perform for it because we can't do enough good. We can't perform well enough to earn our place. We can only receive. And when we receive it, God changes our lives. And we begin to live radically differently, in a radically different way than we did before. Ephesians 4 and 5 tell us just a few ways. Um, one of the things is we don't just live life by ourselves. We live life with others. We live in community, a diverse community, unity in diversity, in a new family called the church. Another thing that, that Ephesians 4 tells us is that we don't live and hang out with people who are just like us. We don't just insulate ourselves in little homogenous clusters of people who are in the same life stage, the same economic bracket, the same ethnic heritage, the same politics. We don't just insulate ourselves. We're a new creation of unity in diversity. And we also don't do the types of things we used to do or the people around us do. Living in, in a way that, that just seems normal to the world is a way that is foreign to the Christian. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, and then through verse 17, it says that we're supposed to walk or live out our life in three ways, in love, in light, and in wisdom. So all of this is getting us to the point now where we have an idea of where we've come from to get to this verse, verse 18, Ephesians 5, through, and then ver through verse 21. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music 
with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Here's a summary of what this passage teaches us. God the Father sent God the Son. And then God the Father and God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit. And then God the Holy Spirit fills us with God the Son so that we can glorify God the Father. You see that? The whole Trinity is involved. That God the Father fills the church with God the Son by God the Holy Spirit. And so rather than being filled up with the excess and the wastefulness of the world, we're called to pursue being filled by Christ, with, with Christ by the Spirit. And the way we do this is by speaking truth to each other, worshiping the Lord wholeheartedly to, together, thanking God constantly, and submitting to one another. So basically this passage is one command in light of the gospel, and then four ways to obey that command. The command is this, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. First, the, the negative side, don't get drunk with wine. Now, this doesn't mean you can get drunk with beer, okay? It's, not, it, it's a specific command, and it's also a general principle. Um, getting drunk is a problem because it portrays a dependence upon a substance that is not the gospel or is not the Holy Spirit. And it's a problem because it's disordered and, and, and out of line with the way God intended the world to work. I'm always surprised, like, we try to get involved in city events and we, sports and stuff, and, and every once in a while, you're talking to someone, and they're holding their Yeti tumbler, and it's like 11 in the morning, and they got, it's not coffee or ice water in that tumbler, and I'm like, how hard is your life that you have to be drinking wine out of a Yeti tumbler at 11 a.m.? Getting drunk is, is a dependence upon things that we're not created to be dependent upon. It could be caffeine and coffee. Oh, man, that's convicting. I, yeah, oh, yeah, man, thanks, good. Glad we have the kids in today. I woke... <laughs> There's actually been two points in my life where I gave up ca caffeine for a season and coffee just because I felt like I was dependent on it. Then I felt like God gave me freedom to, to drink it and drink it abundantly. <laughs> It's disordered, it's disproportioned, it's excessive, it's wasteful, it's empty, it's undisciplined. And so it could be getting drunk with wine, but the principle means, you know, like, don't gorge yourself on carbs, but be filled by the Spirit. Or, on the other side, don't obsess with fitness and health, but be filled by the Spirit. Don't binge watch Netflix, but be filled by the Spirit. This is what God is calling us not to do. The emphasis, though, is not so much on that. That's more of a, a backdrop, like a black drape, to hold up the, the, the beauty and the glory of the light of the positive thing that he wants us to see. Be filled by the Spirit. We're going to see five things about this command. The first is that it is a present tense verb. It's a present command. This means that this is an ongoing, necessary part of our Christian life. It is not merely a one-time thing. To be filled by the Spirit is not something that happens once and then it's done. Now, we believe, I believe, and I think the Bible bears out that 
when you are converted, when you are brought from death to life spiritually, God gives you a new heart. He regenerates you. You're born again, that he baptizes you in the spirit and that you have the Holy Spirit from conversion. But then you have to constantly be filled by the spirit as you walk the life that God has called you to walk. Ongoing filling, present tense. You write this minute, I write this minute, we need to be filled by the Spirit. Now, the reality is though, it's like, it's a lot like base, baseball season started and I just have to warn you, we started our church in September and, and so it, we didn't really have church much during baseball season. So like all my illustrations, it's my kids and baseball season. So just, I just have to warn you. So baseball, the way baseball works is when you, when you get a hit, you hit the ball and you, you get on base, it's called a base hit. And if you get an out, it's called an out. And then the way you tell how the good players are differentiated from the not as good players or the average players is how often they get a hit versus how often they get out. And so a baseball player who is like world class will have a batting average of 300 or say even 333, where that means every one at bat, excuse me, every three at bats, they get one hit. They go one, four, three. An average player, maybe even a little bit below average player, will go one, four, four. So there's one extra bat where they don't get a hit. That's the difference between mediocre or average and best whoever played. One for three versus one for four. But the reality is no baseball player, no matter how good they are, goes one for three or one for four every single game. They play 162 games across the season. They go in streaks. They'll go three for four one night. They'll go two for four the next night. Then they'll go 0 for five. Then they'll go one for two. Then they'll go 0 for four, 0 for four, 0 for four. And they go in streaks that's feast and famine. And that's the way it works, whether you're world class or just average. And I think this is sort of like what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing present necessity that we should be experiencing throughout our Christian life, but there are times when we are more filled by the Spirit than others. And if you look at the trajectory of your life, you are walking the Spirit-filled life, but I just want to warn you not to take your life, and not to just look at the snapshot of one moment in time. And a small sample size of like, wow, I'm really, really filled by the Spirit, or wow, I have no experience of the Spirit in my life. Look at the pattern over a course of time. Some of you know a couple of weeks ago, we went to Jacksonville uh, for some meetings. I had some uh, denominational uh, and, and network meetings, and it was spring break, so we took our kids along, and we took I-95. And a lot of things you could say about I-95, but the one thing I want to say about I-95 is it goes north, at least the direction we went. It went north. But there was like almost no time at any point, if you look at the little compass thing on, the, on, your, on ours, I think it's like the rearview mirror, um, it, it will say NW because you're going northwest a little bit. Or it will say NE because you're going northeast a little bit. Almost no time are you actually directly only going like true north. But if you look at the trajectory of a five-an-hour, or with kids, like 47-hour drive, you went, you, you can trace, you went north, and you went a long way. And your life, look at your life in that sense, that, that God is doing something over the course of time. Don't look at your life with the Spirit just based on snapshots from one day to the next, or one week to the next, even one year to the next. Look over the course of your Christian life, what has God done? 
and to realize that no matter where you are right now, you are called and commanded right now. And as a church, we are commanded right now to be filled by the Spirit. The second thing about this command, it's a passive verb. It's a passive verb. So an active verb is where the subject does the action. John hit the ball. John hit the ball. The subject is doing the action. A passive verb is where the subject, kids, if you tell your teacher this on Monday, you're going to get extra credit, so you listen up. The ball was hit by John. The, the, the subject is the ball that is receiving the action. The ball does not do something. It has something done to it. Now, here's what's interesting, and this is the tension and why I think this verse is so hard for us to get our minds around. It is a command, but it's a passive command. How can you ob actively obey something you don't do? Be filled. It doesn't say go to the Spirit station and fill yourself up with Holy Spirit fuel. It doesn't say fill yourself with the Spirit. It doesn't say fill one another with the Spirit. It says be filled by the Spirit. New Testament scholars call this a divine passive, meaning God is the one doing the action. So the question is, how do you obey a command that you can't achieve. You can't fill yourself with the Spirit. You can only be filled by the Spirit. Well, we're going to talk about four ways in, a, in just a minute that the text gives us not to fill ourselves with the Spirit, but to position ourselves to be filled by the Spirit. It's present, passive, third. It's a plural. Now, now English doesn't really have a you plural unless you live in the South, y'all. Um, this is a plural command. So it doesn't say you individually be filled by the Spirit at home in just your Bible time. We call that at our house, we call it Bible time, um, where, where you're reading the Bible for yourself and you're doing the F-260 reading plan. Um, and if you've fallen behind or you haven't started, never a better time to start than today. Get started, read the Bible for yourself. But it's not saying primarily be filled individually by the Spirit in your own personal time with Jesus. It's saying community, church, family, all of y'all be filled by the Spirit. You can't do Christianity by yourself. You can't live the Christian life and you can't obey this command just by yourself because it's commanding all of us to be filled by the Spirit. So if just one of us is filled by the Spirit, the rest of us are in a state of disobedience. God is building a multi-ethnic family of faith, not just your individual Christian life. Look at Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. In Him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Recently, we bought some, uh, a bunk bed off Wayfair for our kids. And it was cool, like God like did a miracle because we had all the pieces and none of them were broken. And, uh, and the, way, the way it worked is you as would assemble, you as in we, as in me, would assemble um, the footboard for the bottom bunk and then the headboard for the bottom bunk and then the, t the headboard for the top bunk and the footboard for the bottom bunk. And then you would put the sideboard on both. And so you went from individual pieces to individual units, to then you had a, a, a lower bunk completely assembled and an upper bunk completely assembled, and then you set them on top of each other, and that's the, that's the whole. Well, I think this command to be filled by the Spirit 
um, works at those sorts of levels. So it's saying, yes, you individually, like if you are not individually filled by the Spirit, we will not have a Spirit-filled church. You individually need to be filled by the Spirit. Your family needs to be filled by the Spirit. Your smaller community, whether that's a Bible study, the ladies' Bible study, by the way, got off to a great start this week, and I know that there's still room, and they would love for you to join them if you missed the first session. Uh, and Laura, wave, she's, she's the really pretty one in the back. Wave your hand. Just wave. Yeah. So see Laura after. If you missed the first week, they would love to have you. We need to be filled by the Spirit individually. We need to be filled by the Spirit as families. We need to be filled by the Spirit as smaller communities. And then we need to be filled with the Spirit as a whole. It's a plural command. Fourth, it's an imperative command. Now, that's, a, that's redundant, right? It's, it's an imperative command. An imperative and a command are the same thing. But just to just, just kind of just remind you, it's not an option. This is not something that only the Pentecostals or the Charismatics get to obey or want to obey. This is something that every Christian must obey to be filled by the Spirit. This is not higher life Christianity. This is not like special forces Christianity. This is not, this is a command for you and for me and for us. Acts 13.52 says the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Fifth, it says, be filled by the Spirit. Now, this is the part of the verse that I wrestled with the most this week. Because for a long time, and some translations translate it this way because there's a lot of debate, I thought it meant be filled with the Spirit, as in the Spirit is within you. Now, that is a biblical thing and true and good and should, we should have the Spirit inside of us. And the Spirit should fill us. But I don't think that's what this particular verse is teaching. I think it's teaching us to be filled by the Spirit with Christ. Here's why I think that. Because all throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about Christ filling up the world and filling up the church. Look at Ephesians 1. 22 and 23. He subjected everything, that's God the Father, subjected everything under His, God the Son, Jesus Christ, feet, and appointed Him as head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of the one, meaning Christ, who fills all things in every way. We see God the Father raised Jesus Christ, God the Son, from the dead and made Him king of everything, and Christ fills the world by filling His church and filling the world with His church. Look at Ephesians three sixteen through 19. I pray that God the Father, He, may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I want you to notice this. Filled with all the fullness of God. Where, what does that mean? It means that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what I, I think 
that when Paul prays for us to be filled in the book of Ephesians, he is saying that we should be filled with God the Son by God the Spirit, that Christ may fill us, and the Spirit is the one who fills us with Christ. Now, the truth of the Trinity is that the three in one, so if we're filled with Christ, we are filled with the Spirit and filled with the Father, but I think the emphasis here is on the fact that a Spirit-filled church is a Christ-filled church. The command here is to be filled with Jesus by the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes, and what the Holy Spirit does is He takes your eyes from the things of this world. He takes your eyes from the the stress of your life. He takes your eyes from the sin that entices you. He takes your eyes from all of the things that would cause you to go astray and would distract you, and He fills you with the glory of Christ. Look at John 16, 14. He, this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The way God, the Trinity, gets glory is when the Spirit fills us with the Son so that we can know the Father. We are filled. So, so in, in essence, focusing on the Holy Spirit is important, but it's it's ultimately about focusing on Christ to the glory of the Father. So how, then the question is, how do we do this? How do we obey this present passive imperative to be filled by the Spirit? And I think the text gives us four ways in verses 19 through 21. That grammatically, the, the way it's structured is this is an imperative verb in Greek and then the four words that follow it are actually participles, which mean they, they support or further describe or modify the main verb. And if that means nothing to you, just for, forget it, don't stress. What just it means is that these are four ways that God gives us to cultivate the Spirit's filling in our lives. Number one, speak the truth in authentic community. Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, in a second, he's going to talk about singing, but that's not, I think, what he's talking about here. He's saying speaking. And I think the idea is, is not like you're going up to people like a weirdo and just like singing in their ear, but you're quoting truth to them. You know, some of the most deeply rich theological parts of the Bible were early Christian hymns. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 was an early Christian hymn that talks about the incarnation and the glorification of Christ. It's like when, when you have like a really good hymn or a really good song just like memorized and the truth of the Bible memorized in your heart, psalms memorized, and you can speak that truth into the life of another person. I think that's what it's talking about. We talk here about being an authentic community. Authentic, authenticity has to do with honesty, being honest, speaking the truth. Now, what we usually, our first thing we think about when we think about that is we think about being true about and being honest about what's happening in our hearts. We think about being authentic about our own lives, and that's absolutely critical. And we want this always to be a safe place for you to be real about who you really are. And this for, for this to be a safe place for sinners, though it will never be a safe place for sin. But I think even more profound than that is being honest by speaking the truth 
about the ultimate reality in the world, and that is the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. An authentic community is not just defined by authenticity and honesty about our own lives, but by authenticity and honesty and truth that comes from the scripture. Oh, earlier, I, um, I overheard uh, Gary and Robert, they were talking, and they were kind of talking in low tones. I was like, uh, they didn't know because I was pretending to get, I was actually having to get something, but I kind of was like listening because it was right by where they were saying. And you know what they were talking about? They were just talking about the Bible. They were talking about the Bible together. And that, I think, is a way to be a spirit-filled community, to speak truth to one another. Look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I have it memorized in another, another version. Dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul wrote Colossians and Ephesians at pretty much the same time. He has a lot of the same themes that are throughout the, both letters. And here we see the word of Christ dwelling in you is equivalent to having psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs dwelling in you, speaking truth in authentic community. Second, worship the Lord wholeheartedly. This is another one of our core values, wholehearted worship, because this is a way to cultivate a spirit-filled church. I don't know if you've been around sour people, just like, just, they're just like, they're prickly, just like grumpy. Then you've been around people who sing, right? And man, they can be annoying, and it's annoying, right? But you know what? They're a lot more fun to be around, than the sour person. I, I have kind of a, a habit of getting a song in my head and just singing it out loud. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not grumpy, but I'll still sing songs. Um, we need to be people who have songs in our heart that sing from our heart to the Lord with our lives and our mouths. When we talk about wholehearted worship at Cross United Church, we don't mean just Sunday morning at 11.30, 9 a.m., depending on you know, what time you may get here. We're talking about a life of worship Monday through Saturday. We're talking about worship, wholehearted worship on Sunday that both flows from and flows to a life of wholehearted worship Monday through Saturday. Worship the Lord wholeheartedly. Third, thank God constantly. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we're a culture of complainers, aren't we? Man, we're so entrenched in a market economy that is pay to play, that you're paying a premium to receive a premium. If your drink at Starbucks takes too long, if it's not quite the right temperature, if they didn't, you know, my wife is notorious, like, not, she's not notorious, but she orders drinks, and it depends how good the drink is on whether they pump the syrup all the way at Starbucks or if they kind of do it three quarters of the way and it doesn't taste right, right? And, and, and we're, we're, we're so entrenched in this idea that things should be the way we want them and when we're buying something from someone, that is true. But we can take that mindset to God and say, you know what, God? I paid to play this week. You know, I showed up at 8 a.m. to help set up. You know, I, I worked with kids you know, I helped tear down. I put my tithe in the, in, the, in the offering. I taught that Bible study, or I attended that service or that Bible study. I, God, I did my part. Now what? We're so conditioned by the market economy that we bring that mindset 
to our relationship with God, and we think he owes us. And we complain when he doesn't give us exactly what we want when we want it. When was the last time you sat down and you just said thank you to God? I, I, for a while, I was cultivating a practice in my own life where I would thank God for 10 things before I did anything else. And I tried to make them 10 different things every day. And you know what? It's really, once you start realizing what God has given you, it's really easy to go from three to 10 to 100 things. When was the last time your prayer life was just like a thank you note rather than like a grocery list? We want to be a spirit-filled church. We have to be a community of gratitude. Number four, submit to the body reverently. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. If we're full of Christ by the Spirit, we should be willing to trust one another. We need to be willing to submit to one another. I think that's, we're going to not talk about this right now, but um, some people have different views of church membership. But I think what, what church membership is, it's saying, I trust myself with you, and you trust yourself with me. It's saying, I believe you are a person who has the Spirit, you are a person who is in Christ, and that what you say to me can be trusted. When we're a community that is submitted to Christ, we're also a committee, com- com- committee, no, uh, a community that's submitted to one another, which means that your eight-year-old daughter can speak into your life. And that person was, you know what? They may be a different political party than you, but they can speak into your life. They may have a different ethnic background than you, but they can speak into your life. You know what? They may not have nearly as much money as you, but they can speak into your life, and you can trust them and submit to them, notice, in the fear of Christ. Now, we, we love Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for us. We do, because that's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's biblical. We don't so much always like Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who could bite our head off. Because Jesus is both. He is kind, but he is fierce, and he is strong, and he is powerful, and he is not soft or safe. You know, he flipped over the tables in the temple. He is love, but he is also holy. And what we do is we domesticate him. One of the, my favorite parts of the Chronicles of Narnia, maybe you might have like heard this part before, but they're talking about Aslan the lion, who C.S. Lewis, the author, meant sort of to represent Jesus. And they, these, these children ask this, this creature, this beaver, um, if Aslan is safe, because he's a lion, is he, is he quite safe? And they say, of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. Like, lions are not safe. But he's good. He's wild, they say. He's not a tame lion. We serve a lion of God who is not a tame lion, and he does not exist to fulfill your dreams and desires. He exists to glorify the triune God, and he lets you be a part of it. And we have to have reverence and holy fear 
of the glorious Christ who has saved us. And when we realize that he's the one in charge, we can be humble enough to submit to one another. There's a French film from 30 years ago uh, that was called Jean de Florette. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, but it's a story after world, set it after World War I in provincial France. It's about a man who inherits some land, um, but it's what's called dry land. There's no active water source on the property. And so what, what this guy's plan is, is his plan is to travel uh, over a mile away and transport water from a spring on, uh, in another part uh, of, of the community and bring it to his land in order to irrigate it so he can have a working and fruitful farm. Well, at first it seems like it's going to work, but over time it becomes too difficult. And the, the, the main character, Jean, ends up dying. And what he doesn't know is that two f- local farmers who had wanted to buy the property and he had refused to sell had known about a spring on his land and they had sealed it up. And there was abundance of fresh water right there and he never knew and I think many of us live our Christian lives in exactly the same way. We forget or we neglect the fact that we have been given the Spirit of God to fill us. God the Father wants to pour out His Spirit on you and upon us to fill us with His presence and His power. And so what we need to do is passionately yet humbly obey the command to be filled by the Spirit. Let's pursue it and humbly receive it. Let's speak the truth to one another. Let's sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let's sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Let's give thanks constantly and submit to one another in the reverence of Christ. So the question is, how do you need to respond? And what's your next step? And maybe it's just being a part of community and realizing that, wow, I didn't realize that this was a plural command, like that I need other Christians and I'm just going gonna, gonna to show up next week and be a part of this. Or I'm going to show up to a Bible study. We're, we're going to start another men's Bible study in the midweek afternoon or evening. And we have a Thursday morning one. Maybe that's you need to connect to a community or invite someone else in. Maybe you've never s- taken the step to respond to Christ for yourself. And you realize you're a sinner and you need to turn from your sin and trust in Christ and receive salvation. And that that is your next step. And if you, any of those are what God is calling you to do today, mark that on that connection card I mentioned earlier and check that off. And you can just drop that in the offering box in the back and we will make sure we follow up with you this week. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may you fill us by your spirit. May we be filled with all the fullness of God, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with our heart to the Lord giving thanks always and for everything to you, our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.